Welcome to Loving the Christ Life. Hi, it's Brad Wilson. Glad to have you with us again this week, and thank you for the wonderful response that we've been getting on this great series about the cross from Warren Litzman. It's terrific, and as we said last week, no one had a way of explaining this subject matter more than Warren. Let's get right into it. Here's part number three of The Cross. Now, in my understanding, we have reached a point to where we see that the cross is more than something that happened to Christ. We see it as a place where something happened to us. All of us. I don't want to leave this thought until it's firmly planted in you. Because I think there's a great hesitancy on the part of Christians to make known this great truth of Christ, our life. When Jesus died, he died for the whole world. John 3.16 states it well, for God so loved the world that had not even accepted Jesus. He so loved them that he gave his only begotten son. That means that everybody in the world that you come in contact with has already had a Savior given to them. Jesus is not going to do anything for people in the world. He has already done it. They are all already saved in God's plan. But it cannot happen to them personally until they believe. Whosoever believeth shall not perish, but have everlasting life. So everybody you talk to has already been covered by God's plan. I say that because we sometimes pray a prayer, Lord, do something to help them see and understand. When the fact is, we're approaching it from the wrong direction. The fact is, he's already died for them. Their sin is already taken care of on God's part. There's nothing more for God to do except for them to believe. Isn't that simple? That's what grace is. That's why grace is so great and powerful. It's a finished work already. So everybody you deal with already in God's plan are set for eternity in Christ. All they need to do is believe. But if we start people out saying, now you need to do this, you need to do that. We start them out in self-effort. And they're going to cling to that all the days of their Christian life until the Holy Spirit changes their mind about what is the gospel. There are probably those of you here who still feel that we must do something to make it all work. Our subject is the cross. And I'm on this subject because we can't go any deeper into the Christ life until we understand what happened at the cross. Why a cross in the first place? 
the facts are God could have put his seed in believing sinners without a cross. He could have saved men without a cross. Would you believe that most people in religion today count the works that they did as their means of being saved rather than what God did? We have these words, I believe. I walked down the aisle. I shook the preacher's hand. I accepted the church doctrines. I was baptized in water. I was this, I was that. Well, none of that means anything to God. He has already finished at the cross what was necessary to save the world. An evil man like Saddam Hussein is already saved in God's plan. All that man needs to do is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. See, just wipe away everything he's done. Wipe away all the bad. Wipe away all the religious ideas. We have a powerful gospel. It is so powerful that I don't think we comprehend it. It is so big and great that it's bigger than our minds. And so we think, well, I need to do a little something to make it work. Put it all together. The cross is a place where our deepest understanding takes hold. Now, I spent a lot of time talking about the seed, God's seed in the person of Jesus. That's deep and rich too. But you don't really understand the seed, the planting of the seed, and the power behind it until we get to the cross. God brings every human being through the cross. His purpose in doing that is that they will die with Jesus. They'll die with him. Why did he make the cross and what happened there so awful? Because later on, he was going to give a message through Jesus to Paul that not only did Jesus die there, but the human being died there. Adam died there. So that now when he starts off new life for human beings, it's going to be a new Adam, the last Adam. A quickening spirit. That's inner, you see. That's inner. There would be something inwardly that would happen to people that would be beyond all comprehension. The plan of God then is simply that he's going to put a new life in old bodies. It's so important that you get an idea for that. He's going to put new life in old bodies. There is a verse of scripture I like to refer to. I think it's in uh, Corinthians somewhere if I can find it. Hell, I don't find it right off. I'll get it before, before long here. There is a verse that says the three tenses of our salvation. 
1 10. You're right. 2 Corinthians 1 10. It says, We are delivered. It says, We are being delivered. Second tense. Third tense, We will be delivered. That's the salvation of the Lord. The moment you believe, you are delivered in spirit. As long as you live on this earth, you will be continuously delivered in soul. On the resurrection morning, you will be delivered in body. So what God did was that he placed Christ in human beings' spirit. Now, most of us don't know a whole lot about that. The spirit of man is the aura in which he lives and operates and performs. When you get saved, Christ is joined to that spirit and he overwhelms it and takes over so that you no longer live in a aura of your own self, no longer live in the aura of first Adam. You now live in a whole different aura. Christ has been joined to everything you was, and he has superseded it. There is no way that there could be said that we are balanced or that uh, me and Christ are partners. No, he's all. That's what Paul changes. Christ is not some of our Christian life. He's all of it. And so when you were joined to Christ in spirit, he totally took over. Who in the world would want any of us left if you have Christ there? Why would I want to be who I am if Christ is my life? And so in spirit, he totally took over. We are delivered. In our soulish part, we're not. We're in the process still of changing our mind. As I said earlier, all spiritual growth is in the mind. There is no more spiritual growth for the human once he's born again. Now you're going to always run into people who say, oh, the Lord showed me a new and glorious thing and I've just got more of this or the Lord has shown me how to to do this or do that. No, you had it all from salvation. If he could hold back anything, and remember this, if God could hold back anything that Jesus bought and purchased at the cross fully and freely on his part, then he has been impolite, let's say, to Jesus and his death. If God holds back anything Jesus bought and purchased for us, then there'll be no end of what he holds back. And so we're back in religion right away. Well, we have to get a hold of God to get this thing. No, you got it all. The cross is where this takes place. How is it God can give us everything? It's because of Christ's death on the cross. His death on the cross became a purifying point to where old Adam 
was completely canceled out and the body, soul, became purified for a whole new existence and a whole new life. We have powerful scriptures that say that. 2 Corinthians 5 and 17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. See, we have a lot of scriptures like that. Where did that take place? It took place at the cross. It's at the cross. So now you have come to Christ as your Savior. He has brought you through the cross. You have been cleansed and purged of your old life by death. By death. You die. I no longer live, Paul would say. Christ lives. The understanding of how we come to that point requires a deep look into Jesus Christ, into his person. Understanding him. You can't talk about Jesus in depth without attaching as a foundation to him the two scriptures we have in God's plan before the world was created. You know those already. That's Ephesians 1 and 4 and 1 Peter 1 and 20. There are many other scriptures that say the same, but these say it most plainly. Before the foundation of the world, all human beings were chosen. Now, you understand that. I've gone through that many times. Don't be uh, pushed off into legalistic religion here. It says, accordingly as he has chosen us. Who are the us? The human race. Not just a little handful of you. Not just a few Presbyterians. But according as he has chosen us in Christ. What does that mean? That means that he had no other intention before time started than that he would create a human being and put another life. He never intended for the human being to have a life of their own. Now see, that's hard to take hold of, isn't it? That's so far out, you don't like it, just erase it. But that was his intention. He never intended that you have your own life. Why is it the world hasn't run to the cross to be saved? Why is it the world hasn't filled up our churches wanting this Jesus? It's simple. That's the one point we've never come to. He never intended we have a life of our own. And so the world looks at us and says, well, they're, they're living the same way I am. They're doing the same things I do. They act the same way I act. They get mad. They get angry. They don't pay bills. They're this, they're that. The world doesn't see any difference. But God never intended that we live our own life. Before he created this world, he knew that human beings could not function in his Domain in his understanding on their own. So he intended to put a new life in them. And what we're getting to now as we get closer to the cross is that Jesus gave himself to the cross before the world was created. So the cross is not something that happens. 
at Golgotha 19, 2,000 years ago. That's something that was in God's plan that had to take place. And we're going to get into that a little later. But to really understand the depth by which we look at Jesus, it's helpful to go into the 12th chapter of John. And that's where I have directed you thus far. The 12th chapter of John. This is Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday. Jesus, who in his third year of ministry has not been widely acclaimed. In fact, he's had more problems than he ever had in any part of his three-year ministry. Third year's been the hardest year. It's been the year whenever so many came against him. But according to prophecy, he must come into Jerusalem triumphantly. And so Palm Sunday sets the stage for this triumphant entry of Christ into Jerusalem. We're going to set the stage for the cross in some of these verses. And we're going to start, let's say, about at verse 20. It says, And there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. This is the last week Jesus will live. It's rather ironical and shows the beautiful picture of God's work in the life of Christ. The first week Jesus was on this earth, he had people to come from afar to see him. In the first two years, of his life, he had Greeks, Gentiles, to come from the east, the Magi. thought it was ironical that in the first part of his life, he had these that came from afar, led by a star, and in the last week of his life, he had some to come from the west. These Greeks were from the west. He always had somebody there from afar. And I don't know exactly how that fit in, except this was a God thing. And they came therefore to Philip, which was of Bethsaida of Galilee, Bethsaida, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. Now there's been so much said about this statement. They have been led there not to come to know the real Lord and what he stood for, but they had heard that he performs miracles, that he's a great prophet, that he's done wonderful things. And so they've come to see Jesus. Well, Philip comes and tells Andrew, and Andrew and Philip tell Jesus. That's a little thing going on in the inner circle. Andrew's always the personal soul winner. He's out trying to get a hold of everybody he can to see Jesus. And it's ironical that Philip didn't take them to Christ. They came to Philip first. 
But Philip probably said like a, a bodyguard, well, he's a busy man, you know. He doesn't have time for everybody that comes along from Greece or anywhere else. So I'll tell you what, uh, you want to sit here and wait. And he went over and said, Andrew, there's a couple of guys over here that's come from Greece. And they got it in their mind they have to see Jesus. And uh, Andrew jumps up and says, let's take them to him. Doesn't take him long to do it. And so Andrew, the little brother of Peter, takes the two Greeks to Jesus. And Jesus answered them saying, the hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. We hardly look at death like that. We see no glory in death. Why did Jesus say the time has come that the Son of Man should be glorified? This is because one day before this world was created, before earth came into existence, the Father and the Son were talking. And they had come to that very strategic point where the Father said, you know, Son, that I want you, the only one I've ever trusted, to be the life of all these creatures I'm going to make down there on earth. I want you to be their life. And he said, I'm going to take a period of time to prove to those creatures, to human beings, that they cannot within themselves ever please me. Not that his righteousness was so great or he was so holy. It's just that at no point could a creature created by God please him. And so this brings up the idea, well, why didn't God create human beings with an ability to please him? Why didn't he create human beings that would do what animals do? They would have a nature that would always guide and direct them. We have dogs at home. They got a dog nature. We got a cat. It's got a cat nature. We got rabbits. They got rabbit natures. Everything God created has its own nature and that nature supersedes everything else. But as I've told you many times before, when he created the humans, he gave them no nature. Rabbits like to dig holes. We have to cover up their holes constantly. But that's in their nature. Dogs like to chase rabbits and kill them. That's in their nature. So I have to build pens big enough to keep dogs out of the rabbit pens. Everything God created has a nature but the human. Now, you're familiar, of course, with the term we use, human nature. There's no such thing in the Bible. 
Because humans don't have a nature of their own. They don't have a human nature. But humans have an ability to make choices. A human being can make a choice to do good or not do good. I told you before about my dogs. Dogs have a dog nature and you can't change them. I've never liked it that dogs like rabbits and chickens. They'll go after chickens. They don't like to eat either one of them. They just like to chase them and kill them. I said to the veterinarian, why? It's in their nature. I said to him, can I change that? Nope. He said, we've never known that you can change that. You can get love and kindness out of a dog all you want to, but if he sees a chicken running across the... <laughs> he's going to chase it. <laughs> they got a nature that controls them. But when God created human beings, He put no nature in us. There is no human nature. There is a human being and there's a human mind. But there is no human nature. There is no nature in the human being that makes them do certain things. Ah, oh, except the moment that mind believes on a deity, it gets a nature. And the moment Adam and Eve believed what the devil said, they received their first nature. Technically, we call it a sin nature. Then, when you're born again and you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, sin nature goes out back at the cross. He had to take the sin nature out, but a new nature comes in. You now are partakers of divine nature. So we've always had a nature, but we never had a nature of our own. And see, until you get that little fact fixed in your mind, you're going to always have trouble with what salvation is. There's no change of natures from a human nature to a God nature. And Adam and Eve had no nature of their own. They had a mind. What did they do in their mind? They made a decision. What was their decision? The devil is good looking. He's pretty. He said some good things here. We believe what he said. Then how do you get another nature? You believe something. That's why the final gospel simply says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Why? That's how you get a God nature. It comes just that simple. So the moment you accepted Jesus as your Savior, you had a new nature. Well now, in your old nature, which was an Adam nature, a sin nature, that had to be taken care of. And so that's where the cross comes in. The cross is the place where the old nature is taken care of. Religion still teaches, because it has not accepted the in Christ message from Paul, religion still teaches that all human beings have a sin nature even though they're saved. And they say that because human beings who are saved still do bad things. But that's error. We do bad things from our mind. And the mind is where God deals. That's where spirituality takes place, is in your thinking. Well, 
The scripture says the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Where is the glory in this moment? Where is the glory in Palm Sunday? We know he's talking about his death. What is glorious about that? For the first time, human beings will have opportunity to a nature that fits them. Because the sin nature, the Adamic nature, never fit the human being. Why? That nature didn't come from the Creator. The Creator who created the human being has created the human being for certain possibilities, a certain kind of living. But when a sin nature came in, a devil nature came in to the human being, it never fit. So all our life, until we come to this knowledge of a new nature in Christ, all our life we are doing things that don't fit our creation. Don't fit us. That's why the drunkard has a problem with alcohol. Doesn't fit him. Drugs. Illicit drugs doesn't fit the human being. And you should just go down the list of the things that don't fit us. So what do we do? We keep on trying to make them fit. We force them to fit. You were created by God as an instrument of God. Adam came along and Adam betrayed the whole human race by believing he could be greater than God. The end result was he became a nothing. There had to be an escape from Adam's decision, his mental decision. And so the text begins here by saying, the hour is come that I must be glorified. What is the glorified part we're getting into here? It's an exchange of natures. Jesus is going to fix it at the cross so that the way all human beings are created by God to be for his glory, Jesus is going to fix it so that for the first time they'll have no illicit, erroneous nature to hinder them from being what God created them to be. That's what a Christian was to be. That's the message Paul brought. He didn't bring a message where we were struggling constantly between pillar and post, trying to do good, trying to get rid of evil, praying through, repenting. We have to do those things. None of us are perfect. But there was presented to us a gospel that we had a divine nature that fit our creation. No two of us are created alike, so you can't organize a religion that fits every one of us. That's what's wrong with religion. It stereotypes us. What does it do? It forces everybody into their mold. We can never do that. The Christ life will never do that. In this room here, there's probably a dozen or two dozen different religious backgrounds in people here. All kinds of backgrounds. People who have come a different way 
to this point in their life where they're hungry to know God. And that's the way God intended. He didn't intend that everybody be uh, uh, the same. Robbie said yesterday when she talked that she didn't like the term Christ lifers. We, when we hear that, we always try to rebuke it in some way because that makes us think that we're all just alike. Christ in us fits what God created us to be and no two of us are created alike. So we'll never be like the Baptists who, that's where I started in religion, they tried to make everybody a Baptist. And then I became a Pentecostal and we tried to make everybody Pentecostal. Now I'm just the opposite. I see you can't do that and we're not intended to do that. God didn't intend that everybody be put in the same bowl and shaken up until they were tired and worn out and say, okay, I give up, I'm one of you. <laughs> It's an exchange of natures. That's what salvation is. Salvation is where this thing that Adam did in his mind, he believed and received a sin nature. And the cross fixed it so that Paul could say later on, about 13 years later on, the Apostle Paul could make the greatest statement that I think can be made in the whole of the Scriptures in Acts 16 when he says to that jailer, Jailer, all you've got to do to be saved is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now you know what's behind that? This tremendous change of nature took place at the cross. The death of Jesus. Why did he say the Son of Man must be glorified? Because that's an apex moment in God's plan. That's a great moment where what man has become within himself is lost, is taken away. And he has now an open end to live a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. That's what a Christian is. Coming to that, however, is very difficult. And it was difficult for Christ on this day. This was a hard day for Jesus. Because on one hand, Jesus of Nazareth, Mary's little boy, is receiving the greatest ovation he has received yet while he was on earth. But on the other hand, he knew that he could not trust anything that was being done for him. He couldn't trust anything that was being said about him because they still had that Adamic nature. So the glorification of the Son of God is that he's going to come to a time and a place where there is an exchange. It's going to be an exchange into a whole different, another work of God. Now try to picture it. Jesus says, the hour is come the Son of Man should be glorified. How many hours were there in God's plan? Not a one greater than this hour. How many great moments in God's plan? Not a one of them to equal what's going to take place. Nothing. And I say that 
because we've got people everywhere that are maximizing scriptures and making this great and that great while there is nothing greater than the death of the Son of God. Nothing. Because everything that has to do with creation and life hinges on that death. I see so many these days that are so reluctant to give up the apex they found in life. You find this with our healing preachers. They hate to give that up. And that is a hard thing. I had to go through that. For years, I believed that if you got enough faith, you'd be healed of anything. I never did believe if you got enough faith, you wouldn't die. That seemed foolish. Because it's not bad to die. It's a, it's a pretty good thing once you get fixed in who you are in Christ. But they made that an apex. We got people in prophecy. They make that an apex. They just run around trying to fit everything into prophecy. Uh, they're doing the wrong thing. They need to, they need to fit the cross in. Because that what, that's what makes a big difference. And you know, it's only this side of the rapture you have all these blessings of grace. There is no grace for the human being. Plenty of grace on God's part, but no grace for the human being after the rapture. Always keep that in mind. Why? You're back under the law. In the tribulation period, you can still accept Jesus as your Savior, but they'll chop your head off for it. That's kind of a price to pay, isn't it? Sort of. So the hour had come. We're at the first strategic moment that all eternity has waited for. And it's in a moment of mixed blessings when the whole world has come out crying Hosanna, fulfilling prophecy, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. But the one thing is on the mind of Christ. I will glorify God more in the next hours ahead than I have ever. The hours come. Well, we're going to go a little deeper into this hour, and we will. But if I watch my clock closely, it's tea time. You've been listening to part number three of this series from Warren Litzman called The Cross. We'll pick up right where we left off last week. Let us invite you to go to our website and read all about this In Christ message and what we're all about. We're so excited to share everything with you. So go look. It's Christ-Life.org, Christ-Life.org, and check out the bookstore and the wonderful, wonderful blessings and teachings that Warren left behind that you can have right in your own home. Our thanks to Robbie Litzman for allowing us to go into the archives each week to bring you these teachings. Valerie Hill does our Twitter account. Tammy Laycock does the weekly podcast notes. And Teresa Ferraro is our wonderful producer each week from the Christ Life Fellowship. Until next time, I'm Brad Wilson, loving the Christ life.